I always evaluate myself against these four things. You should stay true to learning, be curious, understand what is going on, optimize for people, don't optimize for money. And if you want to do something, there's only one reason to do it, that you want to do it. Hey everyone, my name is Henry Suryawirawan. And you're listening to the Tech Lead Journal. The show where I'll be bringing you the greatest technical leaders, practitioners, and thought leaders in the industry to discuss about their journey, ideas, and practices that we all can learn and apply to build a highly performing technical team and to make an impact in your personal work. So let's dive into our journal. Hello everybody, this is Henry Suryawirawan and welcome to another new episode of your beloved TechLead Journal podcast. Thank you for spending your time with me today listening to this episode. How has the new year been going for all of you so far? Have you had a chance to reflect back and do a retrospective of your 2020? And how about your new goals or resolutions for this year 2021, maybe in your work or in your personal life? Whatever the goals that you set for yourself this year, I hope that you ensure that you continue to take actions on them and hopefully by the end of the year, you would find yourself achieving your goals and also achieving another level of growth for you individually. If you'd like to learn more on how to do an effective retrospective, make sure to check out our previous episode with Aino Corey where she outlined everything about retrospective that she has learned from her past experience on how we can conduct a great retrospective and avoid some of the anti-patterns. If you're new to the show, thank you for listening and a warm welcome to all of you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow the show on your favorite podcast app. And make sure to check out all other great episodes that I have on the show. If you haven't joined any of the TechLead Journal social media channels, I'd like to invite you to join me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and also on YouTube where I post all the episodes plus other short clips that you can listen to in bite-sized manner. Before we continue to our episode today, I'd like to introduce you to Ambrose Chua, one of the show's patrons, and let's listen to what he has to say about the show. Hey fellow listeners, I'm Ambrose Chua, a beginning software engineer and interested in distributed systems. I'm currently serving national service in Singapore. I'm a fan of this podcast, not just because it provides insight and perspectives of technical leadership and various engineering practices, but it also drops advice on career and people skills. After each episode, which I usually listen to while commuting, I learn a lot and always look forward to the next episode. If you've been listening to this podcast, I'm pretty sure you've also learned something from it, and therefore I recommend you join the Patreon to help support the podcast. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, I actually recommend you to go check out the earlier episodes because I enjoyed them and I think you would too. Thanks again, Henry for creating such a valuable resource for everyone. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Ambrose. I really appreciate your support and I'm very happy to hear that you have benefited so much from the podcast. And I hope that you continue to benefit from all the future episodes as well. And if any of you would also like to make a contribution to the show by becoming a patron like Ambrose, please check out for more information at techleadjournal.dev patron. Your support will tremendously help me towards achieving the goals that I'm currently running for the show. In today's episode, I am super excited to share my inspiring conversation with Ajay Gore, one of the most prominent tech leaders in Southeast Asia. 
Ajay is currently an operating partner at Sequoia Capital India, and he is well known for his great contribution to the success of Gojek during his time serving as the group CTO of Gojek. Gojek is Southeast Asia's leading on-demand multi-service tech platform, providing access to a wide range of services such as ride-sharing, payments, food delivery, logistics, and many more. Ajay helped build a strong Gojek engineering team with his passion, strategic insight, and innovative mindset, which was highly crucial in transforming Gojek to become Indonesia's first decacorn. In this episode, I learned so many things from Ajay about his views on tech leadership and his life philosophy. We started from his sharing of his journey at ThoughtWorks and what he learned there that helped shape a lot of his personal growth and leadership. After spending 10 years in ThoughtWorks, Ajay eventually made a bold move starting his startup journey, which eventually led him to founding Code Ignition, which was then acquired by Gojek, and the rest, as some of us know, is history. Ajay shared a lot about his exhilarating challenges and journey in Gojek, which includes the different Gojek scale and stages that he went through, and some important technologies and architecture decisions that were instrumental during Gojek's hyperscaling period. Ajay also shared his views about hiring and leadership lessons that played critical parts to Gojek's success. And one in particular that stood out for me is earn people, not money. We also discussed briefly about the importance of community contributions and his insightful advice on how fresh graduates can succeed in their career. Towards the end, before sharing his three tech lead wisdom, I asked RJ a philosophical question on how we should figure out what to optimize for in our life and career. Make sure to check it out and listen from his great advice. I hope that you will enjoy this great episode. Please consider helping the show in the smallest possible way by leaving me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and other podcast apps that allow you to do so. Those ratings and reviews are one of the best ways to get this podcast to reach more listeners and hopefully the show gets featured on the podcast platform. I'm also looking forward to hearing any comments and feedback on the social media or you can also directly send to me at techleadjournal.dev feedback. So let's get the episode started right after our sponsor message. Are you looking for a new cool swag? Techlead Journal now offers you some swags that you can purchase online. These swags are printed on demand based on your preference and will be delivered safely to you all over the world where shipping is available. Check out all the cool swags available by visiting techleadjournal.dev shop. And don't forget to brag yourself once you receive any of those swags. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Tech Lead Journal. Today, I'm very, very excited to meet one of the person that I admire within this region. His name is Ajay Gore. I'm sure most of you would have listened about Ajay Gore. His success story with Gojek in the last five years or so is really remarkable from Gojek, which was a very small startup company in Indonesia. And Ajay came in and helped to build the engineering part of it until become one of the largest unicorns within Southeast Asia. I think it's pretty remarkable. And even before then, I always heard stories about Ajay from my colleagues in ThoughtWorks, ex-colleagues, should I say, in which Ajay spent almost 10 years there. I've heard so many things, inspirational stories about Ajay. So today I'm really, really excited to hear from him directly. And Ajay, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. 
Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's my honor to be here on the show and talking about tech in Southeast Asia. Just a note of correction, I was not the first one to actually build Gojek Tech. There are very, very many more people who actually built the Gojek Tech before that. I just came and pitched in and it just happened that it was useful. So I became useful to Gojek at some point of time. And Gojek has become a very important part of my journey as well. So thanks for that. So Ajay, I know you have a very long career and ups and downs, obviously. But in the first place, we want to hear from you. How would you sum up your career so far? Maybe you can highlight some of the things that you have gone through, the turning points that you had for us to learn from. I think my career has been what I say is a flow of water in a lot of sense. As long as you put some work, as long as you go meet people, as long as you do right things, career takes its shape. A lot of times we focus on, say, money or success. In my view, there should be a byproduct of effort you put in. So as long as you put the right effort, I think the right things will come out, hopefully. I started very early on trying to become an accountant, and then I had my own business for DTV printing, helping my brother out. And then somehow I got interested in computers, working on Windows. It was a very intriguing machine to me that point of time. I'm talking about 95, 96. I wanted to know how this machine works. And that's what got me interested in learning computers and programming and everything else. But I did pursue becoming an accountant for a while. And then I just gave up on that and started, found computers more interesting and got into them. It so happens that that journey, which started in a very small town in India, still continues. So I'm pretty fortunate. So then after that, I did my postgraduate studies in Bangalore. Uh, then I actually worked at National Center for Software Technology as a technical associate and staff scientist. And there I worked on, helped worked on Indian languages. From there, I joined a company called ThoughtWorks, which you joined after some 10, 15 years later. That was pretty interesting because that company kind of gave freedom to do whatever you could do. What I was doing almost changed every other year. So I started as a network engineer, then became an information system manager, then became a developer, then became configuration manager and ended up being a head of technology for ThoughtWorks India. But after 10 years, it was time to pursue something new. Consulting was good, but it was taking toll on like a lot of travel and everything else. So I got out and joined a mobile startup. Then I realized I should do my own something. So I did my own startup, which eventually got acquired by Gojek. In between, we did a lot of good stuff within our startup in terms of cloud automation and consulting with a bunch of good friends. Then five years of Gojek, and now I'm at Sequoia Capital. So yeah, that's a very summary of my last 25, 26 years. Thanks for sharing. It's such a long journey. So the first thing I would like to understand, because for people who didn't know what you're doing at the moment, maybe you can spend a little bit of time to explain what you're doing at Sequoia now. Sequoia is very interesting. When I joined Sequoia, I was very skeptical on what will I do. I was excited that there's something new, but I was very skeptical on what will I do. But then I realized that I always believe in giving back in some way or other. At Gojek, I was totally engrossed in Gojek and trying to do things only for Gojek. And I think Sequoia kind of gives me that chance where I can work with many, many more startups and help them with my experiences. Look, I will not have any advice for anybody in life, but what I have is my experiences to share on. And some of those experiences may resonate with them and they will take those experiences like don't do mistakes, which Ajay did, <laughs> or don't go and fail yourself. So I think I have like at least 10x failures than successes in my life. So Sequoia, it's very interesting. What I do is I advise on companies in terms of how do we add value to them. A lot of our portfolio companies are very young founders and they're doing a lot of good stuff in technology. But also it means that they are prone to do same mistakes, which I have done, 
or some of them are like really looking for some help in terms of what they should do, in terms of what directions they should take. So basically my job is to advise companies in terms of doing the things the way they should, play a sounding board for them, and also help them find people in terms of growing real companies in next level. So that's what I do at Sequoia in terms of advising to the companies and advising to our advisors as well. So basically, in short, how do we increase the value of companies? And I try to pitch and do some of my part on that. In 2020, everything is about COVID. So what do you see so far? Any effect on the startup scenes within this region? Actually, especially for tech companies, COVID has transformed the way we work. When we started earlier this year, everybody was very scared. Everybody did not know where we will go. But eventually, if you look, COVID made us look through lenses which we never seen before. Like remote is possible. Now people have been working from home for almost a year and products have started taking off. Market has been booming. So COVID hasn't been that bad, especially for technology sector. In terms of working and not able to meet people, yes, that has some disadvantages. We are social animals. We need to socialize. So there are some shortcomings. But overall, I think there has been different kind of things which came out, not only for tech companies, but for people internally as well. People start connecting with their families more. They started doing Zoom calls or conference calls with their friends more. They start calling out them. Also, the need to be more disciplined around doing documentation, need to be more disciplined around being expressive in your emails or in your requirements has been there. So in tech world, what we could not emphasize on early on saying we should do documentation, we should do a more purposeful emails, all that stuff, or we should write more wikis. Those things have kind of becoming a norm now. Which is good. In a lot of sense, it's good. Yes, it has the bad thing. The businesses are suffering. But overall, in a way, if you look, the market have been very positive. Things have been going well. And people have started learning the new norm. And I think this is going to continue. It's not going to go away so soon yet. So for this role, are you focusing more on the Southeast Asia or is it more global? I'm focusing more on Southeast Asia and India. Do you see any new trends in terms of startup scenes in this region? We are seeing a lot of SaaS companies coming up, which is good. A lot of companies in B2C coming up. So wherever you had a lot of offline presence, people are trying to take that to online. Now, EdTech is booming, online conferencing booming, software services booming. Anywhere you have offline friction, those startups are coming up. So basically, people are responding to next set of demands for humanity in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Ajay, let's go back to your ThoughtWorks days. You spent about 10 years in ThoughtWorks. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you have switched a lot of roles in between, right? Inside ThoughtWorks from doing network engineering, system admin, development, and conflict manager. And the last is head of tech in India. What do you see the things that we went through in ThoughtWorks? Like how did it influence you to become Ajay at this point in time? When I joined ThoughtWorks, I suddenly realized that I'm the best guy around. And I kept feeling that till the time I left ThoughtWorks. Uh, <laughs> so that is one thing. I can tell you one. I work with a bunch of very smart people. I don't want to name drop any, but I work with a bunch of very smart people in ThoughtWorks. And that kind of inspired me to do many more things. So one of the things which I always took to my heart is that everything is possible as long as you are willing to learn. So learning, being a learner, also that means that you need to learn to unlearn things as well. What works in past decade won't work in next decade. So that allowed me to be very open-minded. I am not married to a tool or language or framework or technology as long as you need to adopt. So 
you need to learn which results into adoption which results into exposure of new things and which results into a new journey that is one thing which i learned in thought works and that's allowed me to change also they were similar but there was always a little bit of delta in every next role second thing what i learned was i worked on a lot of internal tools in thought works as well that kind of gave me insights on like products only become useful if they remove a significant friction in your daily life like taking anything offline to online is not something as straightforward for example suppose you are filling a form at some department and they ask you your address and your bank account or your phone number every time if you make that form online and if you still ask them the same thing again and again it's useless instead what you should do if once user has created profile then you don't have to ask them those details so those kind of things are super important when to take from offline to online you also need to think of the new way and also need to remove a sizable chunk of friction in people's life so that is one thing which which kind of helped us third thing which i learned a lot which has become my principle is earn people not money and that period of time has impacted me in very positive way because you should figure out what you are optimizing for your life if you are optimizing for money then there are multiple ways to earn money right and there can be good ways and bad ways once you start optimizing for money then you start losing friends and people so that was thing which kind of gave me a lot of good friends which earn people not money and that means that you have to give up a lot of stuff you have to also compromise a lot but eventually like now i'm looking back my 22 years or 25 years of my career after my college life i see that has worked very well for me one more thing which i tell people that if you do something there's only one reason to do it if you don't want to do something you will come up with thousand excuses that is so true i kind of evaluate people also on this a lot of times when i talk to people and they come and tell me why they can't do it and every time they tell me that somebody else did something that's why i could not do it i just see that as a plain excuse because if you wanted to do it you could have convinced that person you could have at least put some effort if you give me a full context then it makes sense so i always evaluate myself against these four things you should stay true to learning be curious understand what is going on optimize for people don't optimize for money and if you want to do something there's only one reason to do it that you want to do it so those are the few things around my last 10 years and that allowed me to go and try different things also one more last thing which comes with if you have to make everybody happy then you shouldn't be <laughs> you shouldn't be try to be in like any team member role or leadership role you just become a ic and just keep doing your job but if you want to do something better not everybody will be happy with you and it's okay at some level if people are not happy with you as long as like around 70% or 60% people are happy with you there will be always a lot of people unhappy with you and don't try to optimize to make everybody happy that is one thing that i learned pretty hard way It's interesting that you say you need to earn people not money. I know a lot of people here the listeners are like aspiring leaders they are either like tech leads or maybe even like head of engineering in their companies. How would you say some of the practical things that these aspiring leaders should do in order to earn people? I can tell you what again I can't offer any advice but I can tell you what worked for me. So one of the things which worked for me is that if you are working with people actually they are not working for you you are working for them and they are working with you. so that is one thing so it's very small tangent but it makes a lot of difference in the way you approach once you believe that you're working for people that means when they encounter the problem go sit next to them one of my basic instinct is that if i am on floor and somebody got issues i'll just go sit with them and work with the problem on with them and if you're in trenches you have to be in trenches with them so that is one thing which has worked a lot second thing i think for everybody is walk the talk see i don't know whether i'm a good leader or bad leader whether i'm a leader at all or not but one of the things i realize that if you have to work with people you can't just sit and keep giving them instructions 
I know what I'm saying is pretty controversial, but a lot of technical leaders do a lot of code reviews. And I kind of like it to the extent, but I don't like it a lot because somebody worked very hard for one or two days. And then you did a code review and you put some five comments and just told them what to do. I would actually go ahead and spend 30 minutes with them and walk them through the code and work with them. I see a lot of people do that. But a lot of leaders don't do that. And I think that is one way to earn people is by working for them and let them work with you. So that is one thing. Second thing is that you need to figure out, and we all know that deadlines are deadlines and they can be sacrosanct, but you can either optimize for a scope or optimize for time. You can't optimize for both. A lot of time, we don't put this sense around where we are trying to optimize for both time and scope. And working with people and understanding what they are going through, if you go through their journey, having discussed their problems, if you bring all of them together, product, QA, UI, UX, mobile developer, front-end, back-end, if you bring all of them together and hear them out and then put an inclusive plan, then at that point of time, you will know what are you optimizing for. Are you optimizing for time? So you say Guys, we need to deliver something on 31st of March. Perfectly fine. We need to deliver these many features. Then figure out what is possible. People need to understand these two sides of coin. Lot of times, we are not that inclusive. Once you are inclusive and bring people into the decision, then they own the decision. You don't own the decision. They also own the decision. And once somebody owns a decision, if it feels like their own decision, they will do it. So that is the second thing. You have to be very, very inclusive. Third, I think one of the things which work for me is I always look for what is the strength of somebody. We are complementing a strength. Somebody is very good at articulating things. Somebody is very good at logic. Somebody is very good at like designing things. Not all fingers are same. So we need to understand what people are good at. And whether you have thumb which is smaller than your index finger, it is still a very important part of your hand. And people need to understand that. Sometimes they judge people with the same kind of measurement or same kind of metrics. And that does not work very well. And fourth thing, when you are trying to hire people, till like 2017 or even late 2018, I used to interview almost everybody at Gojek. After that, it was just humanly impossible because there are so many teams, right? But it is very important for you to go meet a person who would be future part of your organization. So I would actually do a call with everybody and ask them what is going on. Also, when you are hiring somebody, look for the reasons to hire. The filtration criteria should be reasons to hire. Like, what does he know which can be useful for us? Then look for how curious somebody is. Then look for how good they are at their art or skill. And then you should make a decision on hiring. A lot of time, people actually interview as if they want to eliminate somebody from the round. And that is not the right approach. So I think those are the four things. And actually, all those four things kind of lead to earning people. And then all those four kind of things actually lead to optimize for people, which results into everything else. Thank you for all these sharing of experience, <laughs> the way you like to put it. So after ThoughtWorks 10 years, you have been doing this little bit of consulting as well. You decided to move out and join a startup. What made you make the decision? I mean, if you went through back in time and, you know, because 10 years is such a long journey and you have benefited a lot, you have learned a lot as well, right? Yeah. So I think value creation is a constant part of your journey. If you have value creation somewhere, things go on. At some point of time in ThoughtWorks, the role I have was very consultant-driven role. And consultants are not bad. Consultants at the grassroots levels are pretty good people. They serve as an auxiliary support for you at some point of time. They support additional people in your organization. But sometimes that value starts eroding when your job kind of involves selling. Don't take it me otherwise, but that was not what I really was built for. I'm a builder. I'm not a seller in a lot of sense. 
And that kind of led to a very busy lifestyle. It was mostly lifestyle choice, which made me think that, is it all worth it? And nothing against ThoughtWorks. They were very nice to me, but I said, okay, it needs to stop. So I didn't look for a job. I just started putting my papers down. And the thought process was going on for almost like six months. But one day at some point of time, my second son happened and all those things. And I was like, okay, I think I should pause. And that's where I paused. Thanks for sharing that. So I know you spent a little bit of time with the startup before you actually started your own startups, Code Ignition. Yeah. What made you venture to being an entrepreneur? Oh, so when I was in Hopper, it was a very good startup. We built pretty amazing product and everything else. But at some point of time, the journey kind of led me to think, is it what I want to do? And at that some point of time, is it what I want to go for? And that pretty quickly became very clear that this is not what I want to do. But I promised them that I will be there for years. So I stayed there for a year. After that, I was thinking what to do next. So actually, Codignition was a byproduct of another startup. We were trying to create a, <laughs> I never talked about it earlier. We were trying to create a voice conferencing system. That point of time in 2012, getting into conference call was pain. You have to remember your phone number and then PIN and all the stuff. Nowadays, people just click a link and they are in the conference call. But at that point of time, we are trying to create a product which was about like a URI server service and service will call you instead of you calling and you are in conference call. Something like that. But we did not do a lot of mathematics around like how much money you'll make. And it was very telecom intensive product. So telecom operators will take a bigger chunk of our revenue and it did not become viable. And that's when coordination started on the sites where we saw a lot of good approach on cloud orchestration, and cloud automation. So we wanted to create a product which would do cloud automation orchestration on the lines of whatever we have today. But since we did not have money, so I ended up selling my own house, my home for that. And then we ended up creating this whole company which would do automation and cloud orchestration, cloud automation for all the other companies. And that's how we ran it. And then we ran into Sequoia as a VC firm and they connected with their advisory companies, the company they advised to partner with. And that's how we ended up in Indonesia. So first we helped Tokopedia and then we helped Gojek. And before that, we were helping a bunch of other companies for the last three years in India. Gojek was very interesting in a lot of sense. And then Gojek asked us to join them full time. And then we saw a sense of value creation. We saw a sense of hustle. We saw a sense of impacting people. And that kind of thing kind of led us to say, okay, these people are good. They're sensible people. Indonesia as a country is pretty interesting. It's one of the amazing country. Like I still call Jakarta my second home because it's just, the people are just so nice. They are always like happy, smiling, always so courteous, always so helpful. So that's how we ended up coming to Gojek. And then the rest is history. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that you had to sell your house in order to fund your startups. So that must be a very bold decision. Oh, that was a byproduct, right? Again, the thing is when we do a startup, we don't have money and the house EMI is piling up and you have to get rid of that, right? Like you can always rebuild a house, but you won't be able to rebuild a startup again. I could have taken a job and would have gone there, but I just chose to sell my home. Right. <laughs> it was very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it is definitely. So you helped Gojek initially and then they approach you and try to acquire. So what made them think that by acquiring you would make sense for them? Because I see a lot of startups these days, they also engage other consulting companies, but not all of them would be a target for acquisition. So what made Code Ignition something that is worth to acquire by Gojek? It was not only coordination. We had coordination C42, two companies. We kind of, uh, with my friends, Sidhu and others. So Sidhu and his company, C42, used to do app development and application lifecycle. We used to do last mile and cloud automation. We were kind of very complimentary. So we called it CodeMonk. 
So we kind of sold CodeMonk entire company to Gojek. I don't know what they saw. Most probably I can tell you what we did. I think again, when you consult, you can look at consulting as two way street. One way is that you do nine to five job, you bill your hours and go home. Second way is that you kind of contribute to success of your customer whom you're consulting with. I think we took the second approach where we were like, we didn't stop even day in, day out. We didn't stop. We just worked. We just worked on because the problems were real and problems were every day. There was not a single day when we did not have issues. So for six months, we didn't even take off. I'm not saying that not taking off is what made them acquire us, but I think the attitude we had towards their part of success was something maybe make them acquire us. Also, I think Nadeem and everybody else saw that we did not treat it as a consulting assignment. We treated it as our own assignment, our own product. And that's what the idea was that when you go in, you go in hundred percent. You need to have skin in the game or rather flesh in the game. And a lot of times people don't do that. So I think our attitude towards having flesh in the game or skin in the game is what made them talk to us about getting, becoming part of their journey. So when you were being acquired, what was the first role that you had in Gojek? Oh, I was systems engineer in Gojek. I took on the role of doing cloud automation and other things. So my first job at Gojek was to look at the performance of Gojek app. So my job was very simple. I ended up creating a bunch of dashboards and I will just sit and look at where this performance bottlenecks are. And we had three or four people with me and we just opened a lot of console windows and look at the top. And then we started looking at data dog dashboards. And that was my first job for first six months. The job was to just make sure that we don't go down. <laughs> wow, it was very that's... interesting, very, very amazing. That experience was crazy. The thing is you have hundreds and thousands of customers trying to get a Gojek and you suddenly have this database issue. You go solve the database issue and then you figure out, oh, we have some other issue. And then you solve that issue. So it's like that Martian movie, right? When Matt Damon says that you solve one problem and then you solve another problem and then you solve the problem. Once you solve all the problems, then you get to go home. So it was like that. I think Gojek still has a lot of issues, but yeah. And that's all I did my part for five years. But yes, so first year was crazy. It was literally crazy. Like we are trying to change the engine while the engine is running. Like we are writing new microservices, we are putting CI CD, we are putting dashboards, we are putting more and more performance patches. So we are doing something. We are rewriting our routing and location algorithms. We are rewriting our apps. We are churning out a bunch of more products. So it was crazy. It was amazing. And it was like full of that underlying crush. So what was the scale initially when you started as a system admin? Is it like thousand or ah. hundred thousands? I think we used to do around 10,000 orders a day or 20,000 orders a day, something like that. That was like, I think April or May, 2015. And then it just went bonkers. It just went crazy after that. Like I remember after a year, I was giving a talk at Google about what our journey has been. And that point of time, we used to do around like 2.4 million concurrent sessions per second on the backend and around 120 million APIs per second on overall microservices. It grew very fast. Think about this, doing around maximum half a million orders per month to moving to half a million orders per day in six months. It is like pretty crazy in that sense. So obviously this is not an experience that every one of us could experience, but could you probably succinctly tell us, obviously these stages, the growth from what you said, like half a million orders per month to half a million orders per day, these are like tremendous growth. What did you do in terms of going through these stages from low traffic to high traffic? I always say this, whenever a decision is done, most probably that is the right decision, most probably. If you look at decision after like six months, you say that is not right thing to do, you did. But most likely it was the right decision because the exposure and the amount of knowledge you have about the current situation. A few things we did. First, we started looking from the business point of view. 
saying what are our bottlenecks are, which are the functions being most used and start optimizing that. First one was that. And I can tell you that this crazy growth, no, very few companies experienced. So I was very fortunate to actually experience that. But the one thing, as I said, it was like building the dams. Like you have a lot of traffic coming in, you build a big dam. And when that dam breaks, you kind of build another dam to stop the traffic, to handle the thing. So to handle the load, you need to look at from business point of view, business flow point of view, saying what all the processes and what all the problems which are being created. Second thing, you need to bring the software engineering hygiene. So MVP is always MVP unless you have enough time to make it a production grade. So we had to do a lot of monkey patching. You always have two choices. One is the tactical choice where you do a monkey patching and move on. And second is a strategic choice that you do a monkey patching and move on, but you don't take your sight away from that monkey patch and fix it properly. So we did those two things. So for example, in early days, our allocation engine was kind of the bottleneck. So Nirinjan actually went out and wrote the allocation engine in seven, eight days, actually three days. And then he improved it over a point of time. And we ended up actually rewriting that allocation engine like four times in six months because we realized that, okay, this language is not good. That language is not good. Or this combination of technology is not going to be learning. We did not know what to do. So second thing is you need to minimize your choices of languages, stacks, and also. So we kind of created a rule saying, you can use only like three languages, Ruby, Java, and Go. Closure came pretty late. The reason was that we wanted to make sure that people understand what we are doing and everybody is on the same stack. And that is not something, it is a very popular decision because there are some JavaScript fanatics, there are some Scala fanatics, there are some Closure guys, there are some Java guys. So somebody will be happy, somebody will not be happy, but you need to make that decision. So when we started writing GoPay, we made a decision this 2016 that we will write GoPay backend in Java, not JavaScript, not Node.js, not React, nothing like that just simple java with a simple web framework simple orm and i think that was one thing which kind of gave us a very good discipline around introducing new language we did introduce new languages later on we do have a bunch of languages now but limiting your option like which database you should use everybody agrees on that which product management tool everybody use everybody agrees on that we finally agreed that in like early 2019 <laughs> Because we had so many teams and so many new things, so everybody had their own choices. But you need to bring those choices together so everybody can talk the same language. Third thing was we kind of decentralized and made teams across geography. So if we had a team in Bangalore, we will have a team in Jakarta, same part of team members, same part of same team. That kind of let the communication go. So communication was second biggest step. You had to have a very good communication. That made me travel a lot and other leaders travel a lot and everybody else travel a lot between Bangalore and Jakarta. Because if we don't do that, then the silos will get created. So you have to actively kill the silos. And fourth thing which we did was cadences like stand-ups and IPMs and all the stuff. Whether somebody comes or not, we have to go through those cadences. So sometimes what happens is, oh, if Ajay is not there, let's cancel this meeting. So we said that like, if you know, somebody's not showing up, meeting should continue. And we tried to limit those as well. So those are the few things we did. And last thing was, I think a lot of autonomy to the leaders. Because thing is, if you bring somebody in to do some job, give them autonomy, as much autonomy you can, so that they can perform and they'll do the right thing as well. People, a lot of time don't delegate enough. They kind of become proxies. If everybody is still coming to you for decision, then there's something not very nice. So once you delegate, you delegate completely with authority and control both. You can't keep the command to yourself and give control away because everybody who wants to do pseudo, they'll come to you again. So I know you mentioned a couple of things about technology, like you decide about languages, you decide rewriting things in microservices, but are there any other fundamental, maybe technical architecture decision or even technologies, databases or things like that? 
Yeah, there are a lot of things. Like, like there are some first principles around it. For example, when you are doing microservices, then we went to fire and forget and compute and callback kind of thought process where we try to move everything asynchronous. Synchronous microservices are useless. Writing synchronous microservices, in my view, are like sin, a biggest level of sin. Because what you did, you actually broken up a monolith and put the monolith in two places and just introduced the HTTP stack in between. Nothing else. Because the calls are still synchronous, then that monolith does not actually has any advantage. So a lot of times our portals remain monolith till date because they were just doing one function of displaying the data. So one of the things was if you are not doing asynchronous, if you don't have a big, large message bus, there is no reason for you to go to microservices at all. I actually would go one more level up saying, don't do microservices unless you really understand that you have to do it. It's just useless. First thing is that monolith is very good for, like when people say we can't scale something, any language you take for say 5,000 orders a day, I just believe that they are not using the language or tool right in the right way. All languages, all tools are pretty capable of delivering very high volumes. And we have seen those examples all over the place. If, say, if you take example of PHP, we have Wikipedia who is serving billions of pages every day. If you take JavaScript or anything else, you have your Facebook as well. And then you have JavaScript, you have a lot of other companies who are doing this. If you say Ruby and Rails don't scale, then you have GitHub right there on your face. So my point is that you will see a lot of people blame technology for not scaling. I just don't believe in that. I think you should capitalize on your expertise. If you don't build it, if you can't build it, get somebody else who can do it for you. But don't blame the languages. Take a stack on that. How about architecture? You mentioned about large message bus. Maybe can you clarify a little bit? What do you mean by that? Uh, I didn't want to use a specific software name because you will just glinch on the buzzword. But first we used RabbitMQ earlier days and then we kind of embarked on the journey of Kafka in 2015 and gRPC as well. gRPC did not go down that well, but it's still working. Kafka went down very well and that part of time Kafka, we didn't have a streaming and anything else. The thing is, we always say dry for software. You don't repeat yourself a lot. But once your large org is there, if you want everybody to listen to you, what will you do? You'll continuously repeat yourself in terms of communication and you have to communicate a lot. Same way with the software architecture. If you are going for microservices, treat microservices as various teams. And if they have to talk to among themselves, you need to figure out a message method to enable them to talk to each other. I don't know. People can do an email-based something as well if they want to, but I don't care about that. But the thing is, you need to have a very large message bus. Whether it's Kafka or you can do this with RabbitMQ or anything, any other service which can actually come to that level perfectly fine. Don't have to clinch on the buzzword. Sometimes you don't need that as well. You maybe just be happy with RabbitMQ and even with Rescue based on Redis, you can be happy with that unless you need different features. So a lot of times people actually use things just because it's buzzword. A few days back, I was talking to somebody and saying a lot of companies who are actually saying they use big data, they actually don't have data big enough. <laughs> we stick to Postgres in Gojek, which kind of was a very good choice. But unless you understand Postgres very well, don't go there because auto vacuum will kill you. <laughs> a lot of small things, dude. I kind of published a checklist on what all things we should do and we should not do. For example, if you have a very large table, like hundreds and millions of rows, don't try to add a column during production deploy. <laughs> those kind of things so yeah that's what it was also use the language for what they are built for for example if you are doing some functional programming use closure if you want to and it's pretty nice language which allows you to do a lot of functional programming but if you are trying to do a lot of computation and a lot of high speed processing use golang it gives you compiled thing but if you don't want to you can still do with java and ruby and it's not going to hurt you it may take some more resources but the thing is, when you're optimizing for time and resources, and if you know really well in Java, then stick to Java. Don't have to go to a different world. My point is that. 
So you mentioned about checklists. I'll make sure to put it in the show notes for people to refer and learn from all the past experiences that you have. Let's go to hiring. Of course, during this time, you hire a lot of people, like maybe massive, maybe, I don't know, in thousand. So what do you think are some of the tips for hiring from your side? We never hired thousand people, actually. We doubled every year. We kind of hover around 850, 900 engineers plus like 200, 300 product managers. So yeah, hiring, what are you optimizing for? So when somebody comes and asks me, I need 200 people or I need 20 people or I need 40 people. I want to know why, what are you optimizing for? What kind of skills? What is that metrics or what is that enlightenment you had that gave you the exact number of 20 people or 40 people or 100 people? Why? So first thing is that. Second thing is I believe that you really don't need a lot of people. You need a lot of good people. And if you don't have a lot of good people, go back to my first principle of saying, try to hire for people what they know and if they're curious. And if they don't know something, it's okay. Can you teach them? So we kind of followed those two. So we hired a lot of freshers. We used to, I think we still do. We hire around 40 to 60 freshers every year from universities in Indonesia and India. And then we trained them for six months. And that's where your investment is. I think one of the main thought process I had was that you always need to look two years down the line or three years down the line saying, if you hire a fresher today in one or two years, if he's working with you, he'll become so valuable that he will actually beat anybody who has five years industry or six years industry experience, which has been true for us a lot of times. I'm not saying the experience is, is bad. You have to hire experienced people as well, but you have to over index on the bringing people in your domain yourself. And let me tell you a very practical thing. When Gojek was there, how many companies are there in ride-hailing space which are as big as Gojek? If you look at on top, if you take from top to bottom, we have like maybe three or four in Southeast Asia, one in China, two or three in US, which are very big, like maybe 10 companies overall. So if you're to hire, either hire from competitors all the time or competitors will hire from you. I had no experience in ride sharing. I had no experience in food delivery. I have no experience. Still, we could do that. Maybe I did not do very well and which is fine, which is okay. We, we reach somewhere, right? And everybody has to learn. Tomorrow, if suppose you start a AI startup in machine learning and there are only two companies which are doing like image recognition or something very crazy. How would you hire those? How would you get those? So one thing is that you had to over index on growing your own talent or teaching your own talent that we did and second is hire people with similar skills and optimize for their talents how do you optimize for talent so think about this way i ask this question to everybody how do you know a chef is good chef or a painter is good painter or a musician is a good musician by observing their art either you listen to music or you taste their dish or you look at their painting how would you know a good product manager how would you know a good developer at whatever level they are those people, like painters, musicians, those people have their art publicly displayed. A lot of us don't have our art publicly displayed. A lot of us don't have our code publicly. Suppose I'm an open source developer and I contribute to say some open source project and you are requiring some skill, you will hire me just like that. You won't even ask me five questions because you know that I'm an open source contributor. Easy for me. But if I'm not, which a lot of us are not, then how would you hire somebody? By asking them to show their craft, show their skills. Lot of people actually get offended when we ask them to write code. I don't know why. Either they don't believe it's good skill or they believe it's not their best use of their time. So my thought process has been very simple. Hire people and ask them to write code. So Gojek was notorious, blamed that we have very high bar or we are very strict. But the thing is what we are looking for is that whether you can write code or not. Simply, that's all. There are other ways to look at somebody good or not. 
and maybe I don't know those ways. But what I did, I always look for people who are passionate and eager to show the aircraft. And even if they show it, they might not have to write the perfect code. It's okay to not to write perfect code. At least I'll know what they know. I do not want to know what they don't know. I want to know what they know. Because when you focus on what they don't know, that means you're going to ask them questions which the answer from them is going to be no. Creates negativity. You should ask them questions which the answer is yes. So that's what we did. Second thing what we did, we created a brand awareness. How would people know that we are good? How do we know that we are a good tech engineering organization? So we created our thing. We started creating talks, going to conferences, talking about what we do at Gojek. We started our blog, which still goes on. We publish something every two weeks at what we do. Later on, Nadeem also created a podcast, like how do we run things at Gojek? So basically, we have to tell people what we do. And as long as we perform in front of them as a company, they'll perform in front of us if they're willing to. And then we hire them. Super easy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I know it's super easy, but hiring is kind of tricky sometimes. There are a lot of people and you're saying that we need to find the good people, right? So obviously this is partly art, partly also from the person itself, how they show the craft. Anything in particular, apart from coding that you're looking for in the talent. So you mentioned about how passionate they are and things like that. Any other particular things that you think you're looking in the candidates? Curious attitude, attitude towards people, attitude towards their own job, attitude towards community, those kind of things, what their passions are apart from writing code. People should be passionate about something, game, reading books, movies. What are they geeky about? I try to find that out. What are you geeky about? Also, I look at somebody, what has their personal journey has been? Because I think a lot of people have put in a lot of effort. They have not got the good environment sometimes, and that's why they have not flourished. It happens, right? job in SpaceX or a job in, say, Uber won't be available in Indonesia. If SpaceX would have been in Indonesia, then we would have had a lot of space engineers and a lot of good developers as well, 10 years back. So I'm very much interested in what made them who they are. Like what made Henry who Henry is? I ask you this question as well, right? What made you who you are? I always focus on a lot of personal journeys and figure out what is the DNA of this person? What is this person is built on? And sometimes it just works out very well. Let's switch a little bit into leadership, right? So one of the key skills about leadership is to be a multiplier, like you said, right? Delegate. When you delegate, let the leaders take the ownership. So anything in particular that you want to share about leadership, like how do you manage when the team grows larger and larger and larger, double every year you mentioned? So how do you ensure that everyone goes to the same direction? In terms of leadership, right? If you are hiring somebody, you have to treat them your peers. I think that is one thing. And you have to treat yourself as a first among equal. First is that means you're constantly looking at replacing yourself. I think that is the first job of yourself is to try to make yourself redundant. If you have that objective, that means you'll delegate and give more and more responsibility to people. Maybe you can get redundant, which is good. If you don't, then you will go and do something better. You will do something else, which will add the value. So second thing is to find next level of things where you can add value to in terms of company, in terms of leadership, in terms of whatever it is. So that is one. Second is how you define leadership, right? What is leadership? Leadership is something which actually, in my view, in a very plain definition is leading people, group or organization. That's what it is, right? At the end of the day. On top of, if you look at more, there are a lot of other things which you have to be a sounding board. So first is like, say, empathy. Empathy and sympathy are two very similar things, but empathy is way more different. The first is empathy. Second is you have to be a sounding board or you have to lend your ears. That is second thing. Third thing which I talked about product is you'll always have to come up with a decision. Sometimes not able to make a decision is a very bad thing. At least if you make a decision, you will know whether it went wrong or right. Not able to make a decision, you're always in limbo. So make a decision. That means you need to bring this tactical versus strategic thinking hat on yourself. That is one. 
once you have that this kind of form your opinions once you have your own opinions your own principles then make sure that you have a lot of flexibility so that these opinions don't become your dogmas so that is another thing which is very much important like somebody convinces you things other way around then things are other way around and get convinced not only always try to push your agenda around you need to know you should get convinced so these are the things which you work around team then around people you should have two things especially one you should be able to dive down to the level of people if they require you to like for example wherever systems used to go down in gojek i can say 99% of time i was on call with people and that is something important being available so being available being reliably available and third is which is you should be able to understand and listen and then act accordingly those are the few things i think are right things i don't have a very good leadership course with me but yeah this is what i have <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks thanks for all that so you mentioned a couple of times a lot about community contributions so why do you think community contributions are so important the pot will be empty at some point of time so somebody has to give and if everybody gives then you have a lot of good knowledge and everything else i met so many people from other companies and all the same let's talk as engineer to engineer talk let's let's forget where we work what we do let's talk and that kind of helped a lot i'll give you this example in 2010 when we started rubyconf in india we wanted to go to rubyconf because rubyconf in india was not happening and we could not because it's super expensive to go to us and all stuff we sat down bunch of us and said why don't we bring rubyconf to india so we brought rubyconf to india we got some speakers we got some sponsors and get going so we had mats coming a recorded video for the first rubyconf but after 5 years we had mats coming and working with us speaking to us it was amazing so that's how the community and that's what we did with try to do with indonesia as well we had ruby.id and we did ruby conference in indonesia and we did devops days in indonesia it just creates an ecosystem everybody benefits giving back is what creates a lot of good ecosystem and if you can create a good ecosystem then everyone wins not only me and i will win as well i will have more people more employees and we get so many good colleagues out of those conferences to us which i can be very proud of them today they're in indonesia so we could find so many new colleagues which are there in indonesia right now so that's what happened so another thing you mentioned about fresher during the hiring so for those freshers what would you advise them to do in terms of upskilling themselves and level up in order to progress in their career I think any job nowadays is a learning journey I have still not stopped learning I think everybody should learn and they should continuously learn first thing is that second thing is whatever they're doing they should ask this question how can I do it better tomorrow that kind of takes it to next level third thing is i always think money should be the byproduct of whatever effort you are putting in i have met a lot of people who have focused on money getting the raises and all stuff but other thing is that people should work for making sure the money or anything else is a success or anything else is a byproduct of their effort they should focus on their effort a lot that is what i have been doing the rest everything is up to the individual as i said to do something you need one reason to do it that is your own reason to not to do it you have 100000 excuses why you couldn't do it so you need to really focus on why you want to do something and be good at it don't do something which you don't like it gets very boring at some point of time i always ask people do you really like to code i think i did ask you that as well do you really think you really like the code because if you don't if you're doing it for something else if you're doing it for just job making end meets don't do it if you really like it then do it because anything you do when you like it things will go better people can say oh ajay you are sitting over here that's why i was talking like this but i can tell you i have actually been through that 
lot of time the reason i did not and could not quit thought works for 10 years was the same reason saying hey i can do this better or these people are really nice so i optimized for people and my skills and i just could not leave i could have left at any point of time there are always job offers out there and at some point of time focus on giving back explaining and teaching is really good talking in conferences is really good because it makes you better people appreciate you which is like a byproduct but talking in front of people confidently about some technology is super good because you really have to work very hard to understand what it is all about you mentioned a lot of times about optimizing for something so a lot of times for individuals these days especially with i don't know like from social media distractions news and things like that it's pretty difficult to know what to optimize for so what do you think can be done for us to know what is our north star what should we optimize for in life or in work It's more philosophical question. Very philosophical. I can tell you what I optimize for again. <laughs> I'm optimizing right now this phase I'm optimizing for my family and my friends. In different phases people optimize for different things. So suppose a lot of people do new resolution I want to get fitter or get healthier this year. What does it really mean? What are you optimizing for? There are 100 ways of getting healthier. But instead of that you should take a resolution in my view that is action based resolution. I will go to gym two times a week or I'll swim once a week. I'll walk once a week and that has a byproduct if you do that you'll become healthy so whenever people think i want to do this then they should actually figure out what they should do to become that or what should be resultant and then they should optimize for that so for example i'm optimizing for my family and friends that means i should spend more time with them that means i should have more lunches and dinners we should plan more i'm optimizing for giving back to community that means at sequoia i should contribute to things not only able to talk to people but write down my thoughts and tell my experiences to other people so that they can maybe benefit from it maybe they don't do those mistakes so my point is people should look at what they're gunning for first thing is that and what they should do to get that what is your objective and what is your key results are we should really work on that at a different side of things if you are saying after college and you are going say for next 10 years of career so i think you should optimize for your skills your own skills optimize for your own leadership if you want to become leader and optimize for people on the way that kind of worked for me for first 15 years now if you are looking from like 35 to 45 or 35 to 50 then you should optimize more and more for people and friends and family and health and everything else like you see you'll get married you'll have kids so you have to spend some time go reunite with your parents because you have spent a lot of time building your career to so spend time with that so that's what i think i'm doing so maybe people should <laughs> do something similar or figure out what they want to like if some people just don't want to talk to anybody so it's okay if they don't have to talk to anybody So Ajay as my last question for all the guests that I have normally what is your three technical leadership wisdom if you can share with all of us here the first one i think is when you're hired into a job then that is exactly what you are hired into that really means don't complain about your difficulties in the job or your predecessors because you are hired exactly to solve problems you are there because someone needed someone like you i attributed like something like this as well long back second thing i think when you're hired into a job as a leader don't complain about things existing things which went wrong because there was a reason why they are like that and the reason you are there to fix them there is no reason for you to do that and third thing is i always say that observe and absorb for first 90 days always observe absorb understand what is going on get the context that is when you get into a new job first thing now once you are in the new job then that team is yours that means you fully wholly own it that means you have to be with them you can't just sit there in your office and do something be available to them so whatever way you do it 
but be able to understand the business, understand the context, what is going on. That is the second thing I would say. And third thing which has worked for me is hearing out a lot of things, what people really want to do inside, what they could not do earlier and be a force multiplier there. Try to do things which people really want to do. And if in your opinion, they are the right things to do, then please act on those. So that kind of allows people to understand that you are really for them. First thing is that, and also allows you to understand the system in much, much broader category. That is why you are in the job now. And once you're scaling up and scaling out that point of time, I think a lot of new leaders, when they come in, the first thing they do is to rewrite some things. My one advice over there is even after six months, if you have this itch to rewrite something, get the context behind what is being rewritten. Most of the time, it's not right. These are the things you should never do, basically. So thanks again for sharing all these wisdom and experience and all your journey. It's really my pleasure to have you in the show, Ajay. Thank you so much for your sharing. For people who wants to find you online, where can they find you? I'm usually on Twitter and I have my own website with ajayguru.in. I don't write a lot on that. I have not written a lot, but I will start writing soon. Let me promise that I'll write one story a quarter. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Twitter is the best way to reach me and talk to me if you want to. So thanks again, Ajay. Hope you have a very wonderful 2021. Thank you, sir. And thanks a lot for hosting me. And hopefully I wish you a lot of success and prosperity in 2021. And hopefully we will be able to travel, meet our families, meet our colleagues and friends this year. Thanks a lot and have fun. Take care, Henry. Thank you for listening to this episode and for staying right till the end. If you highly enjoyed, please share it with your friends and colleagues who you think would also benefit from listening to this episode. And if you're new to the podcast, make sure to subscribe and leave me your valuable review and feedback. It really, really helps me a lot in order to grow this podcast better. You can also find the full show notes of this conversation on the episode page at techlyjournal.dev website, including the full transcript, interesting quotes and links to the resources and mentions from the conversation. And lastly, make sure to subscribe to the show's mailing list on techlyjournal.dev to get notified for any future episodes. Stay tuned for the next Techly Journal episode, and until then, goodbye. <music>